Would you give me a, a sing check? Yeah. Beautiful, great. You feel ready? Think of yourself on your own deathbed and imagine what will be important to you in those moments. Because I have a hard time believing that money will be important to me there, that anything other than love. And in that realm, the currency of song still deeply matters and is still deeply felt and received and beneficial. It's inherent in our bones and being to make sound. And when we tap into that and cultivate it with intention, it has profound effect that can change and save lives. Welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. My guest today is Lisa Littlebird, former executive director of the Denver Women's Chorus, a singer, composer, writer, voice coach, and founder of the Wholehearted Chorus, a heart-led, joy-based community chorus open to all voices on the central coast of California. She invites singers of all abilities to explore the full potential of their voice. She views group singing as a transformational, personal practice and a healing art. Lisa Littlebird, thank you so much for joining us today on Voices of Esalen. Such a pleasure. I have a quote drawn from your website, which I would like to read uh, to you and get your reflection on it. Community singing is an art of stepping to the edge together, to the edge of our own unfolding and to the edge of the conversations most needed in our collective communities. Talk to me about that. This particular work and community, greater community is about, is about weaving community through empathy building and fostering connection through song, which is truly for me the most ancient technology available to us as humans and has been part of our DNA since the beginning of everything that singing and dancing are fundamental human expressions that we've done since time immemorial in every culture without exception. And so, and children do this, it's the natural expression. And so to return to something so fundamental to our being, I find just naturally fosters those mirror neurons in such a way that we can step up past our differences and find another layer available to us and remember our connections. talk about your singing classes. Let's talk about what's going on this week. Can you kind of, um, I don't know, give the title of the workshop and, and just, um, tell me what's going, happening this week with all these blissed out seminarians? <laughs> uh, certainly. So we have created this all property event that we call singing on the edge. And what you quoted at the beginning is, uh, what really speaks to what we're up to here, creating a collective conversation on the edge of the world, literally meeting in Leonard Pavilion over there, two feet from the cliff and singing as Melanie DeMore says, singing our lips off and really 
discovering what five days of stepping into a different frame of expression does for one psyche mm. because really quickly old egoic structures and rigid ideas of the way things should be cannot abide that amount of expression and so we really quickly get past and through ourselves despite ourselves here and go deep it's a profound investigation of what's important in our lives and most of us came to the same conclusions so there's a whole lot of songs about the importance of feeling and a whole lot of songs about the importance of remembering we can't do it alone and a whole lot of songs about the importance of love and um, opening our hearts to one another and opening our hearts to ourselves and fostering self-compassion and so it's very healing and the result is almost always blissful uh, we always get comments from the staff here when we're here of like everybody looks so happy and it's not the goal but it's an absolute side effect it really is you can you can tell when there's a singing workshop here it's um it's really profound and, and really interesting and uh, why is it why are people so happy when they engage in the art of singing well, I can speak to my own experience coming to you as a person who struggled with severe depression for my entire adult life and had pharmaceutical support and thousands and thousands of dollars of therapy and so much suffering and challenge, especially in my early adulthood. And then deeply feeling through those places again therapeutically here at Esalen. And what I found is there is an essential kind of foundational emotional structure that's provided by modalities like Gestalt therapy and the things that Esalen has been so great at fostering and it was deeply essential to my self-learning and growth. And there was also a place after which it really couldn't help more. It couldn't help me elevate my consciousness to another place in which I actually got to significantly experience joy. It helped me uh, kind of put the pieces of the jigsaw back together in a way that was less fragmented. But... What I find singing does as a practice and as a tool and as a meditation technique is it trains the mind to focus in places that deeply elevate our spiritual consciousness. And that's my personal experience. And it's the only practice in my life where I have felt better 100% of the time after doing it. So it was very self-serving that I started this choir and Big Sur and all of my consistent singing circles because it was a practice I needed. And I knew if I was in charge of it, I would show up. <laughs> See, that is so brilliant. I think that the most successful artistic practices have the self-interest built into them and it leads to the longevity of, of the practice and ultimately to the ability to give to others.
kind of back up and, and ask you a little bit about your trajectory at the Esalen Institute. Um, now with you being such a popular workshop leader, I understand that you kind of came from this institute in a certain way. And I wanted to ask you what workshops um, or experiences led you to um, kind of be in your own creative power in the way that you are. Isai Barnwell. <laughs> I want to really give her deep appreciation and props. She is a longtime assistant faculty member and a founding member of the African-American a cappella singing group Sweet Honey in the Rock. And I was fortunate enough to attend one of her five-day workshops 12 years ago, somewhere there. And my heart and mind and world was completely blown open. I had musical background. I was a music and voice major. My mom is a professional opera singer. It was in my blood. I'd already been the executive director of a community chorus. So I had musicality in there, but I had never until that moment witnessed the capacity for 40 people who don't identify as singers to learn 40 songs in four-part harmony without one lick of paper. No sheet music, no nothing. It was all old way oral tradition. And that was so compelling to me. And from there, I'm deeply grateful forever to Esalen because I just came to them and said, is this something that I could offer here? Because I was living here at the time. I'd love to sustain this offering and offer it regularly on the experiential program. And they said yes. And so that's how it began. Were there any other workshops that weren't directly singing that kind of led you to step into your own power? Of course, yes. And it's as fundamental that side of the spectrum as the musicality, if not more. Mm -hmm. In fact, now when I'm training others to be song leaders, my first thing and major thing that I'm sharing is to deeply step into your own personal growth, that that is the foundation from which all of your wisdom will spring and from which you will have something to offer into the world. And so for me, my offering is Definitely as much all of my own personal work and spiritual ministry as it is song sharing. See you. 
there's so much wisdom, right? There's these brilliant thinkers and quotes on every Pinterest and Instagram a thousand times a day that we take in and go, whoa, amazing, and then have forgotten 10 minutes later. later. So my interest is in integration. My interest is in receiving wisdom and actually learning how to actually live it and remember it and be it. And for me, song offers that. It's a way of taking wisdom and moving it inside. And that's actually demonstrated neurologically through science that songs live in a different part of the brain than words, verbal words, which is why stroke victims or dementia patients can remember songs even when they can't speak or stuttering even. There are people that suffer from stuttering when they speak, but they can sing fluidly. So it's a whole other part of the brain that those words begin to infiltrate. And that is part of the consciousness, I think, that is what helps us feel connected to the earth, to each other, to the world. And that's the part that I feel culturally we're most in need of uh, supporting and, and fostering. Well, talk to me about the people who have come to sing with you. Uh, can everybody, for instance, carry a tune? Are they all good singers? Is there a a level that you need to be in order to engage with the group? Definite no to the answer (laughs) of that question. Nothing is required other than you are a human. And that's essential to the invitational quality of what we're up to. There's absolutely no requisite level of accomplishment required because it is the number one barrier that people have to singing is their own self-judgment, which is almost always a zillion times harsher than anybody else feels. And for me, it's so beyond secondary to what we're up to here that it's very quickly irrelevant whether somebody is on point with their pitch or not because the group as a collective is so much smarter and talented than any one of us alone and that's the whole point so we bring our offering to the best of our ability we give it freely and then it just gets joined in this soup and that's the magic of singing together and it's so much more than the endorphins of singing when you're by yourself in the shower which is great but it's actually it's oxytocin that happens when we're doing it together and it really facilitates a knowing that we're together in such a way that hearing ourselves, judging ourselves takes a back seat and it can take some time for people to work through that. And it's evocative for a lot of people to work through that, especially here. Mm. There's lots of, oh, imposter syndrome and oh, different waves of things that come up, but then the song holds that and we move through it together. The leadership is so fluid too, that it's Mm. definitely not focused on performance. It's not focused on any central charismatic figure it's very democratized in this movement and the wisdom just moves from face to face and i love that about it Mm. yeah i was going to ask if there were particular techniques that you could um utilize to help an inhibited singer kind of lose that inhibition and it sounds to me that you're you're speaking about engaging in the group process yeah I used to, when I first started teaching, spend quite a bit of time in the early parts of my song circles 
talking about our inhibitions, processing our inhibitions, working through it. And I realized after many years of doing that, that I was actually amplifying them by giving them too much airtime. And so I no longer do that at all. And instead, within 15 seconds of being in a group, we're just going. The train has left the station and you're on the wave, whether you're trying to or not. You, you, there's no off button. And all of a sudden you've forgotten that you even had resistance one minute ago and you're just focused on what are the words and getting your mind in a different frame of focus. And that to me is the healing. I believe that I'm in the right place at the right time. I believe that I'm in the right place at the right time. This wave is crashing down and it's the one for me to ride. This wave is crashing down and it's the one for me to ride. Do you find that that people come to your singing class with kind of an agenda? Like I want to express something. I need to express something. I want to break free of some sort of patterns or it's more like, I just want to be inside this, um, this happy feeling. All of the, the above. It's all welcome. And our focus most of the time is on collective expression more than individual. Mm. But within that, we're definitely not trying to conform Mm -hmm. everybody's voice into a certain sound like a professional choir might. And instead, everybody's individual, unique voice is welcome inside the collective. And I find it so beautiful that whenever I'm leading groups of 20 people, say, anywhere in the world of any degree of experience, they all end up sounding the same at the end of every workshop. There's no difference in my experience to the quality of the sound of the group uh, at the end of an hour or two hours or five days of singing together. It's just one voice. And to me, that's what we're playing with. Let's talk a little bit about the types of songs that you choose to sing in your workshops. From what I understand and uh, from what I've seen, you deal a lot with the oral tradition. Yep, entirely. So what I find is that if you handed people happy birthday on paper, they would read it. That is, paper is another separator. It's something that makes us feel, if there's sheet music, for instance, that we are either uh, fluent in this language or we're not. And most people aren't. And so they're already feeling separated. So my job as a song leader is to remove separators or imagined separators. And so to take away paper immediately takes away that barrier. And it also enforces what we're up to, which is actual connection, that you actually have to look in faces of people. And the focus is on communicating the message of our songs as much as it is on making the sound beautiful, more so. And as such, it's kind of shifting from a performance orientation, perfectionistic standard, which is common in in most Western music cultures, that it's a performer's art, and it moves it way over into a human behavior.
kind of songs do you see popping up like in the oral tradition? Are these folk songs? Are they children's songs? So, of course, anybody in the oral tradition has heroes and Pete Seeger's at the top of the list, you know, people who really facilitated opportunities for people to sing together in a meaningful way and made that cool and fun to do. But I would say by far the majority of the repertoire we're doing now has not existed until this year. I mean, everything that's coming out is contemporary and it keeps emerging And I love that because it really speaks to the hearts and the minds of us as a people as it's relevant today using our language. And it's also more relatable than something that might already trigger nostalgia or judgment or, you know, preconceived notions of what singing together looks like. Okay, so what's an example of something that has emerged uh, like in this past year that might show up in one of your workshops? Sure. So one of my favorite things is what I have personally just called bridge songs. And that are songs that take aspects of pop culture or hip hop or rap or country or um, jazz and have infiltrated the melodies and lines and styles of these simple songs. Because in oral tradition, we have to keep them pretty simple if we're going to successfully learn them fast and feel good about ourselves. So most songs are like four lines or, or less or, or call an echo or some format that's, you know, doesn't break all of our brains. And so it's so fun to feel these playgrounds emerging of words and musical styles that I've never heard in these kind of contexts before. Oh, cool. Well, give me a little quick example. Sure. Let's see. Uh, I have a dear friend here in the workshop uh, named Lindsay Scott, and she's a song leader out of Rantoul, Illinois. And just to give this a little context, she's a good example of a bridger because she's in this expansive, heart open, blissful, luxurious world here at Esalen, but she's leaving here to go home to a small town south of Chicago and work in juvenile detention centers. Mm-hmm and sing with resistant and rebellious teenagers. So there's a major uh, threshold of hip and coolness that must be crossed in order for that audience to exist with her and for them to be willing to join. So she's creating songs um, like... Everything I need comes to me in just the right time, space, frequency. Freaking, 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 freaking frequency. I'm changing my frequency. Freaking, 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 freaking frequency. I'm changing my frequency. I love it. I get it. Super fun to sing. It needs to be powerful in order to grab the people who you want to reach. And still retain potent and positive messaging. Yes. Powerful. That's amazing. Thank you for that. I'm wondering, if how does Big Sur function as a backdrop for your creative work? Like, Is there anything about Big Sur that inspires you? Is it a reason that you choose to live here? It's a good question, and it's an ongoing investigation for me. 
but I can say it's deeply nourishing to my soul and spirit, this land. And Big Sur by its nature, if I could sum it up in one word, for me would be wild. And in that way, it doesn't often really invite roots by its nature. It's so dynamic and it's kicking people out and shifting things and starting fires and raining floods. And it's so unpredictable. But what it does attract are people who want to remember that nature's in charge and are constantly reminded of it. And that's true for me. I really like feeling my perspective as tiny in retrospect, in, in respect to the, the wider world and the greater universe. And, and Big Sur is a constant reminder of that, of its, and its beauty just steeps in my being and uh, deeply inspires my, uh, my sense of closeness with the earth and therefore my creative juices. <laughs> there, there's this quote that I was reading um, from Henry Miller's book, Big Sur and the Oranges of Hieronymus Bosch, mm-hmm. where he says... If you're an artist, you better come to Big Sur with a patron because there's everyone here is an artist. You can't live off of them. <laughs> I think I'm kind of in your camp too. Just you know, coming from my perspective, it's hard to put into words uh, how it is inspiring as, as a creative, mm-hmm. but as a person who to live here, it seems so much better than everywhere else. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you have lived here for, for a good long time and done your creative work when, you know, you could have moved to San Francisco or Los Angeles, but you chose to stick in a, like a very small place. And it's not just me, you know, it's like all things, it's some portion of me and my intention. And the rest is the land and the people embracing me Mm -hmm. and letting me be here. And that has just really beautifully unfolded in surprising ways for me. For me, one of the most potent ways I'm nourished by Big Sur is silence, that it's so rare to find in our world perfect silence. And I experience that with regularity. And that contrast is important for me as a sound maker in the world to deeply feel quiet for extended periods of time, because that is a generative force from which the sound can spring. But the other thing is it's a very generous community. And I learned that through the emergencies and the fires here, that we have each other's back in times of trouble. And for me, the interest was in fostering that all the time, not just when we're in trouble. What happens if we weave community every Wednesday? And we have for 14 years.
has Esalen functioned as an incubator or creative space for you? Like, what about Esalen in particular has made it possible for you to develop the work in the way that you did? Their exceptional generosity with experimentation. Uh, they allowed me to make something up and try it here. And so it's been a beautiful path because I just experienced Issei. I didn't know what I was doing, though. As I, I had to make it up, and I needed practice, and I wasn't instantly skilled. And Esalen said, go for it. And I just offered it for free for long period of time and then they hired me to be part of their regular experiential program faculty and from there I built credibility and I built other offerings and workshops around the state and the country and I started a choir and with that skill base and experiential foundation then I was rehired by Esalen as faculty and now it's just the best of all worlds. So I, I couldn't have done this without Esalen's incubation and generosity with me. Mm. It is kind of interesting how the, the work that you do dovetails with the kind of programming that Esalen is known for in that it's it's aligned with a kind of um, human potential, yeah. a, expository nature of the self and, and deepening of, of the self, which not everybody would associate with a choir, choir singing. It's true. And because it's such an old technology, something we've all done together forever. It doesn't, for most people, stimulate, oh, what a cutting edge thing. But I would ask any person on the street if they would be willing to sing a song with me right now and tell me if that is not edgy. (laughs) Yes, totally. Right. It takes us right up to our most vulnerable places to release our voice in the world and to be willing to participate and join others in that way. It's very edgy and it's revolutionary and essential for our times. Every social movement in history has had a soundtrack and we are in a new phase now with that one. And so there's an emergence happening that is allowing us to begin to join voices as powerful offerings behind necessary activism in our our world right now. And I would call that right on the edge of what's required. Do you like functioning um, from the edge as as an artist and as a teacher? I thrive there. It's everything that makes it interesting. I think we're all craving novelty. We're creating, we're we're craving evolution and uh, what's available to us. And I'm definitely a seeker of what, how much can I hold? How much can I grow? What could that look like in a collective environment Mm -hmm. and not as solo meditators out trying to find enlightenment by ourselves, it's much faster to do it together.
what is a good way for someone to step into their power as a singer, whether it's within your class or without it? How can you, how can they do this? First, I would say be willing to experiment with a relationship with your voice as friendly. Most people don't have that. When I talk about what I do immediately, the first thing 85% of people tell me in response is, oh, I don't sing. And they literally physically back up from me. And it's become an identity structure that I'm a non-singer. And I just call baloney on it all. True tone deafness, first of all, let me just lay out what that fallacy is that so many people like to say, is exceptionally rare. Tone deafness means you wouldn't know the difference between my voice and a vacuum cleaner. So if you can talk and you can hear the different inflections in my voice, it's a mundane form of singing. We're singing an improvising song all day long by talking. Singing is just a exaggeration of what we're doing all the time. It's available to you. And if we could just find a more friendly, compassionate inner voice around that experimentation, it would open so much vitality to us. I believe that we are as free as we are in friendly relationship with our bodies and our voices. And if that avenue isn't open, that there's a big share of our life force that's unavailable. So that's number one. And number two is to find other people because it's way easier to sing actually in groups because you don't have to listen to yourself. You're lost in a group soup of sound, and it's way more fun. And uh, I built a website to help people do that. It's called singworldwide.org, and it's a free online directory of people singing in oral tradition communities. So anybody can list themselves there or find people there. Talk to me a little bit about the, the classes that you offer. What is the Wholehearted Kids Chorus? <laughs> So we have an adults chorus and a kids chorus. And the kids chorus is for kids ages 6 to 13. And ever shifting and changing, but it's one of my greatest joys. I did not know what I was doing when I formed this and I got help. I wisely found other people who with a lot of experience working with kids and have schooled me on what not to do and what to do. And it's become this outlet of encouragement um, for childlike expression and to really see these children as creators and as wise people worth listening to is the basis of our teaching style. Mm -hmm. And so we deeply encourage them. We share many songs we know so that they have some framework and context of what's available and have some things just to structurally organize around. But from there, we say, go make up songs. What's important to you? And sing about it. And what comes out of them is so profound. I'd love to share a very short song that an 11-year-old named Emily in our chorus shared with us last year. Because kids are innocent in many ways, but they're also deeply grappling with the same suffering and challenges of this life as us. And her song was so deeply touching to our choir. She wrote this after 
another young person in her life, a teenager, a close friend, was killed in a house fire. And without telling anybody, she just went to her journal and used her musical expression to work through some of her feelings around this. And she created this song. Things we forget to see, words we forget to say, saying thank you and watching the trees grow. Birds flying by, strangers just passing by, hearing nature's song in the morning. Life goes by in the blink of an eye, and while you're living your life, others may have to say goodbye. Oh, life goes by in the blink of an eye. So 11-year-old guru teaching all of us through song. And so that's our interest is in really showing them uh, that they have wisdom worth hearing and to cultivate it. Well, tell me about the adult chorus. So it's a joy fest Uh of uh, now 150 members. Uh And we learn about 15 songs each season all through the oral tradition and often with a fair degree of complexity and the learning is supported by practice recordings and then we share them in a couple concerts uh, a year but I never call them performances I'm really working to change the semantics around it instead to connect us with what I feel is the original source of all quote-unquote performance which is we've made a whole lot of beauty together and are so excited to share it with you. And that's the impulse. And it's also deeply participatory. We're not on stage and you quietly sit back and listen. The audience is singing along with us for at least half the songs. Take the funk and the fire and friction. Transform it all in me. I am my own magician. Making magic with my song leader flight school what's that all about so i realized that my mission to the moon of singing being as ubiquitous as yoga in our culture wasn't going to be able to happen with me alone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that i would love community singing centers and offerings to be as easy to find as a Starbucks. And that means we need a ton of leadership out there in the world, sharing songs and growing and it's happening. So I facilitated, I'm one of many people I know offering song leader trainings 
and mine is a six-week online course so that people can do it from wherever they are. And now we have many grads from more than 32 countries and half of the states here in the U.S. and hundreds of song circles that have been born from that. So it's very fulfilling. So how if someone was listening to this podcast and they were kind of jazzed about it, how could they find out how to go to the Song Leader Flight School? Sure. My website is thebirdsings.com. The Bird Sings or littlebirdflightschool.com will also take you there and you'll find out more. I believe that I'm in the right place at the right time. This wave is crashing down and it's the one for me to ride. I believe that I'm in the right place at the right time. This wave is crashing down. Think of yourself on your own deathbed. Imagine what will be important to you in those moments. Because I have a hard time believing that money will be important to me there. That anything other than love, the connections and relationships I've fostered in this lifetime, and some hope of offering a beneficial legacy to our planet is what will matter. And in that realm, the currency of song still deeply matters and is still deeply uh, felt and received and beneficial. And so it's a currency for me. It's an energetic currency that is available to all of us, whether we think we can or not. It's inherent in our bones and being to make sound. And when we tap into that and cultivate it with intention, it has profound effects that can change and save lives. This is a song from my friend Michael Stillwater. And more effective done in group sound because it's around, but the message is potent and I love to share it here. One by one, everyone comes to remember we're healing the world one heart at a time. One by one, everyone comes to remember we're healing the so much for joining us today such a pleasure thank you for listening to voices of esalen today's show is produced in conjunction with cheryl franzel Lori putnam and shannon hudson our music is by nico holloman 
If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and more. You can also find all of our podcasts archived at our website, esalen.org. That's E-S-A-L-E-N.org. The Esalen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Programs like this one are made possible by the support of our donors. 